RadioInfluence.com. Friday edition of the Dark to Light podcast with Frankie Val on the drums and Beans. So we are supposed to have today a, a an absolutely amazing guest who I'm I'm hoping I think I might have screwed up somehow and not told her that it was 8:30 Eastern because she's in Texas. Her name is Dr. Mary Tally Bowden, and if we don't have her today for some odd reason. We will definitely have her on next week for sure. Um, she completed her residency at Stanford, board certified in otolaryngology and sleep medicine, specializing in airway disorders for children and adults. Six months before the pandemic, she started her solo practice um, in Houston in, called Breathe MD, and she opened her doors seven days a week, did everything she could. Kept, she's kept so far over 5,500 COVID patients out of the hospital using the multi-drug early treatment protocol, which includes the medicines that only are given to horses. Oh, the horse medicine. The horse paste, you know, the horse paste. She, you, She's on the advisory team of FLCCC, and um, she's been to the Ron Johnson hearings. Oh, she's here. That's a plus. She's here. So we're going to bring her in now and here she comes. Hey, Dr. Bowden, how are you? Good, how are you? I I was just, I was thinking Central Standard Time. That's but... what I thought. <laughs> okay. We were wondering about that. Sorry. Um, is this audio only in terms of, oh, or no, is it? Live video and everything right now as we speak. <laughs> Oh, great. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Good morning, doctor. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I just had to go pick up my dog that was lost. So I'm, things are a little, do you want I'm to, a little frazzled. Can, <laughs> let's say this. We can introduce you today. We can reschedule for next week. No problem. Okay, I, I'm very sorry. That's okay. That's okay, <laughs> darling. No worries. You do what you got to do and we'll have you back here next week. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Bye, doctor. Bye, doctor. Bye. Oh goodness! So there you so go. Ha- so wait, 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 wait. wait. So, so, so there was it was an actual time zone thing. Yeah, seems so. And and uh, and right now there's a dog obligation. <laughs> it seems like that's that's the case. Yes. I hope. I wonder if it was a pit bull. You know, pit bulls are killing everybody again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I sent you a and and I just sent you another link. There was a, a there's a New York a New York Post article. I don't even know this girl. I'm... She's a she's a good looking girl. At least she was before she had her entire nose bit off by her father's pit bull. I don't want to see this. And not only that, not only did they have to sew her nose back on, but suddenly her nose is growing hair. Looks like an actual dog. Shut snout. up. Shut up. Just I'm telling just, you, this is so disturbing. The godlike productions one that you just sent? Yeah. I- I'm not looking at it when your face is like that. Well, it's weird to see a, a girl's face have a nose reattached and suddenly there's a furry snout on her face and like what's going on here is that just part of the regular healing process or what let me see is it the godlike productions one yes it has a new york post new york post tweet embedded but you can see 
And you scroll down a little bit, and she's got a fuzzy... What the hell is this? I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> I don't know. But it's disturbing. Okay, me. this is terrible. <laughs> this is just terrible. Okay. So if you're listening only, I'll put this in the show notes. She had her nose bit off by this poor, this pitbull, this poor girl. And now this is her nose... What? Yeah. What? What is? What? I don't understand uh, if it's just an optical illusion or if there's really something going on. Yeah. So, uh, so it happened. Yeah. Hold on. Let's see. Um, the same way the chat of skin graft. Okay. So with the skin grafting, that is is the the overgrowth of hair a normal thing? Because that's just. Yes, Man. they're saying yes. That's what happens with grafts. Okay. My gosh. Well, okay. Hopefully, they can just laser that off, and or it'll stop eventually because she's got enough problems right now. Yeah. Seriously. All right. Is so it, okay. We're gonna we're gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna preview our show for next week with with doctor because she needs we need to, to reschedule that. Um, also, we're gonna go over the the White House's. FBI National Cybersecurity Strategy Manual. We'll talk about the Carrie Lake Supreme Court filing. We'll do a little review of Missouri v. Biden. And if Kyle is just chilling and wants to jump in and join us for the FBI National Cybersecurity Strategy Manual, he's more than welcome to. It's up to him. Well, but let's watch this video quickly of of Dr. Bowden, uh, Bowden, I say that wrong, Bowden, who will be on the show next week because I forgot to tell her the time zone, I guess. Here we go. I have no financial ties with any third parties. I do not contract with insurance companies. I don't contract with the government. I do not take Medicare. I have no financial ties with hospitals and no financial ties with pharmaceutical companies. <clears throat> what was the misinformation that you got fired for? Sounds it sounds positively Soviet, by the way, when I hear this. You know, the misinformation against the state. Dangerous misinformation, not just misinformation, dangerous. And essentially, I wrote ivermectin works, and that's based on treating over 2,000 patients with ivermectin and keeping them out of the hospital. And then I said vaccine mandates are wrong. I got a text message from the Houston Chronicle from a reporter saying, is it true that your privileges have been suspended? And I'm like, uh, no, what are you talking about? And then I checked my email and there was a letter and then I checked Twitter and they were tweeting about it, which is unheard of. That is, that is, it's probably setting, it's unprecedented. No one, no hospital's ever done that to a doctor that I know of. So I want to tell y'all what it takes to be, get into this spot right here. And it's not an easy journey. It's not easy to get a medical license. It took, my path took 13 years of higher education. I had to make straight A's. Residency was the five hardest years of my life, mentally, physically, emotionally. But I did learn a lot, and one of my most valuable lessons was to take a critical view of pharmaceutical companies and not be the first person to prescribe the newest and latest drug until it has stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. And that has served me well when looking at COVID-19 and how we're treating it. I also learned about the culture of these big academic institutions. 
and they're rigid, they're hierarchical, and they breed conformity. In the following years, I had kids, and that experience gave me a different perspective on the doctor-patient relationship. I had four boys in five years. Uh, so I was basically, <laughs> I was a patient for five years straight. And <laughs> that was eye-opening. I learned what a um, inefficient, uh, impersonal, confusing healthcare system we have. And when I started this clinic, I was determined to do things differently. Any good doctor will change their position based on what they're seeing. And that, that's what I did. I mean, I was all for the vaccines when they came out. And then I saw all the breakthrough cases. I saw all the, the risk associated with the adverse reactions. And I changed my position. And that's part of the scientific process. That's part of being a doctor is, is to look at what's happening. And, and perhaps you need to change your approach. And that's not what is happening with these big institutions. Well, they're dependent on a lot of money from big pharma. That's sure. That's for sure, Dr. Bowden. And a lot of them are running scared. Thank you so much. And that is our guest for next week. She's fantastic. She really mm. is. I, and I and, and I do remember the uh, I do remember that that uh, press conference outside of the hospital. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, and what's going on with her right now is something. They're they're going after her. They're trying to find her, take her medical license away. One of the stories that really struck me about her was she there was a sheriff who was really really sick, went into the hospital, went went on the protocol, which is basically something that kills you, which we know now. Um, on the pre-show on locals, I was talking about my experience with COVID back in the day because. People were sending me emails, Frank, saying, can you please help us? My family, you know, we have relatives in the hospital. They're being killed and we need help. We need to get the medicine that will save their lives. What can you do? So like I scrambled to to reach out to connections that I had and try and help folks because how do you get an email from someone who says their mom's stuck in the hospital? They won't let them see their mom. They won't let them... You know, they, they put their phones all the way across the room so they can't get them. I mean, some absolutely tragic and terrible murders, and I'm going to use that word, occurred in the, in the hospitals during COVID-19. And so yeah. I, Nurse Sarah, you guys know Nurse Sarah, Nurse Sarah Absher, she has been a guest on the show several times, was critical to that. I mean, critical. And I had some attorneys, depending on what state people were in. So this guy in, in Texas had this problem. He was in the ICU in a medically induced coma. They wanted to give him ivermectin to try. I mean, he was going to die. He was on a ventilator. He was he couldn't breathe. It was terrible. And they ended up having to go to court. The judge granted the motion to allow her to prescribe the ivermectin and administer it because the hospital was like, we're not taking liability from this horse paste if it kills him. So stupid. It's like this medicine has a... a, a, a a better safety profile than Tylenol, Frank. My whole my my question though is uh, when you're already that far along, I mean, what wouldn't even matter? Yes, uh, wouldn't even matter administering it if you have to be taking it from the beginning. It it does, it does. It takes longer, but it works. It works. That's why Doctor um, Marek was was booted from his hospital. He's a pulmonologist in the ICU who was treating his patients with ivermectin when they were in the ICU and it was working and they got rid of them. A terrible story. So 
So she was granted, the judge granted this stuff to her, gave, gave, said hospital, give her privileges to come in and give this medication because they're not doing it. The hospital stonewalled, wouldn't let her in, pulled all kinds of stuff over weekends, like refused to let this man get potentially life-saving medication. All of a sudden he, you know, they, she never gets in there to prescribe it. Terrible. All of a sudden he start he improves, he starts making improvement. Months later, Frank, we find out that the wife admits that she she gave it to him in the hospital. Mm. The wife gave him the ivermectin because she was like, I'm not gonna sit here and watch my husband die. Because Good for her. Yeah. I mean Just doing whatever. Good I, good for her for trying. You think uh not allowed. We we should not allowed to try. We shouldn't be in a country where we have to say that we have to smuggle medication into a hospital or the hospital will kill our family members. This is absurd. Like, the, uh, Sarasota Hospital is going through something major right now for this. Do you remember we covered the story? There was an emergency doctor who was admitted to the hospital in Sarasota and there was a man who was next to him that, that asked for him to be his medical advocate. Yeah. And he decided to do it and they were misdiagnosing him and the pneumonia that he had. And they ended up chaining this emergency room doctor to his bed in another room. Like they they misdiagnosed him with the it was a, it was bacterial pneumonia, not viral, viral pneumonia. And they refused to give him antibiotics. Right. Yep. yep. Yeah. There's... And I'm, oh, it, mm, just just terrible. And, and you know, the. Mm, I have so many things that want to come out of my mouth. You know, it's, and, and many people have made this. It's very easy to make these comparisons, but they're the best kind of comparisons when you just wonder what the holdup is. You're you're talking about these alternative, and it's not that doesn't even mean ineffective. Um, just alternative, something that's outside of what the main prescribed protocol is for a certain uh, illness or whatever. The same people who are out there trying to to treat mental illness or some kind of dysphoria within children by castrating them, they're willing to try castration to treat children yes. and young adults who who are at war and at odds with the body that they see in the mirror, and 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 how they come to that point, how they have been brought to that that point in their lives. We can talk about any number of environmental toxins and cultural toxins that are bringing us to there. But to think that that we are more and more comfortable that the, that the same medical uh, societies and circles are far more comfortable in in prescribing castration for young children than they are than they are for ivermectin for a for a flu. It's it doesn't. It's there's there's a there's an angle being worked there it's because it makes no sense. Zero. None. Zero sense. And not only that, but somebody said in the chat, by the way, ain't woke, don't fix it or don't fix. The reason many of us never cared about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine was because we're under 50 and COVID is comparable to the flu in our age group. It's comparable to the flu in probably age groups above that for the most part. Um, but. I had COVID and I have to tell you if I didn't like I that ivermectin within a day, the inflammation that I was feeling was like ridiculously reduced. It, it's, it the it's the body. It's the body aches and inflammation. Like you feel like you're the tin man. You, it, you had it, right? Yeah, it was. So did Lauren, too. 
And the baby, right? And, and the baby, yeah. It was terrible. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. I had, a, I had an Omicron. Terrible. Um, but anyway, so that'll be next week someday. We'll figure out which day. But um, we've got this. Let's, let's go over the fact sheet for the Biden-Harris administration's uh, national cybersecurity strategy, shall we? Sure. You can read the full strategy as well. The highlights. Let me read the intro. Today... The Biden-Harris administration released the National Cybersecurity Strategy to secure the full benefits of a safe and secure digital ecosystem. I hate when they use words like that. It just... I can't wait to live in this ecosystem. I'm excited. We live in it already. This is just their cover for it. I just um, love being in a safe and secure ecosystem. Like, I love being just feeling secure. Um, okay. Kyle, send me a message if you want to jump in here for this. Oh, he just did. Let's see. I'm at the desk if you want. Yes, I'm going to send you a Zoom invite, Kyle. Bear with me. This show is so off the cuff today. So off the cuff. But that's okay. It's all okay. I can't just keep thinking about that girl's face. She looks like a koala bear. The hairy nose. Feels yeah. so bad. It's terrible. It really is. Um, basically, the first point here, we must rebalance the responsibility to defend cyberspace by shifting the burden for cybersecurity away from individuals, small businesses, and local governments, and on to the organizations that are most capable and best positioned to reduce the risks for all of us. Oh, yes, Father Government, please come in and help. I can't do it myself. Please come in and help. Um... We must realign incentives to favor long-term investments by striking a careful balance between defending ourselves against urgent threats today and simultaneously strategically planning for and investing in a resilient future. That said absolutely nothing. What did that say? I don't know. No, I don't know. Resilient futures, what the hell does that mean? Uh, it, coming from people who have nothing to do, nothing to do except uh, negotiate foreign trade and to make sure that our borders are secure and all of our all of our trade is being uh, you know the uh, uh, global commerce is being dictated by Davos and there is no border so they have reinvented what United States is and what their what their uh, job description is under the Constitution which is very very limited and now they are recreating safe secure digital ecosystems like the like the founders had intended it, it, like everything they say obviously makes no specific reference to anything real or anything that we could even describe because it's all nonsense you know you know how when you you sit down and you you read you uh you're supposed to write a, a 500 word essay and you need to get the 500 words Oh, and yeah, you, and then you, you add the word that a hundred times. That is the most useless word in the entire English language. By the way, so it is. Kyle's here. Here he is. He's down here. Kyle, thanks for jumping in on short notice. Hey, good morning. It's still dark here where I am and cold. What's up, Kyle? <laughs> What's up, Frank? Oh, by the way, great, great spot with uh, with Timothy Gordon. I, I loved uh, I love that interview. That was one of my favorite interviews. That guy is really funny. And uh, I think once we got off the the tape, it even got weirder. <laughs> yeah oh, it's one of those moments where it's like he, he had a lot of thoughts that he didn't share on his podcast that i was like i'm on board with all those things yeah we're <laughs> we're speaking the same language here you can man imagine you can imagine so, all right 
Listen, why are you so worried about uh, skin grafts and koala noses, man? It's, she's just trying to live her best life without a nose. She's trying not to be a serial, uh, what's his name? Cyrano de Bergerac, whatever that guy's name was that had the golden nose. My I references know. get obscure early in the morning. I, got I don't know. Up. I don't know. I, I might have taken the prosthetic. If it, hopefully the swelling goes down and they can they can they yeah. can laser off the 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 fuzz because that's, that's they can always bad. laser off the nose if it gets weird. So that's easy. Obviously, we have lasers. We got we got freaking sharks or ill-tempered sea bass with lasers. Did with you lasers? See, did you see that the clip that came out of? I think it was. I forget off the coast of Florida. There were like. A hundred thousand sharks around this boat. I mean, more sharks than you'd ever seen in your life in one place, snapping away at the tuna they were trying to fish for. It yeah, was a that's what happens when you try. They do. Uh, they do spear fishing in Hawaii, where if guys catch a you know knock down like a big tuna, or they knock down one of these uh, bigger pelagic fish, and uh, and they'll never tell you like how much the fish weighed. They have to estimate it because it's just like shark bitten as they're getting dragged through the water. Look, I, I don't know. Have you ever seen like uh, what? like recreational spear fishing looks like on no. guys that are doing breath holds no. no it's like the most insane i don't know why i went there but uh, this is the most insane thing you've ever seen uh so some dude in a skin uh, like a little leotard thing that is water colored like water camo they'll take a deep breath they're free dive freaks they go down underwater and they just hang out there and like look through their mask for the fish right and they've got they uh, they got the spear gun and then they've got like a float and they'll smoke the fish and it'll go right into it. The harpoon or whatever, you know, the actual spear goes in and then the fish takes off. And if it's a big one, like, you know, three, four, 500 pounds, like that's a monstrous animal and it'll just go and they let go of the thing and then they get dragged behind it sometimes. Were they like, <laughs> like surfing on the, on the, or like wakeboarding? They're on underwater. The they're underwater on a breath hold, like as long as they got to be, unless they're going to cut line and run. So like they run out and then, and then the fish will get chomped because it's bleeding and it's swimming really fast, which makes it very interesting to, you know, big predators. So bigger fish will go and stomp them. So you'll get like these huge bites out of a tuna that's, you know, five feet long or whatever the heck it is, or swordfish or whatever. And, uh, and it'll just be all like chomped up and they'll have to estimate the weight on these things. There's a whole magazine about this stuff. My, uh, my older brother has a, he, he had roommates that used to do that. <laughs> Some, Adam, just, Adam just said, how do we get from cybersecurity ecosystems to spear no, fishing? <laughs> listen, it's all related because here's the thing. It's all about hold your breath, sit underwater and just do what you're told. Just wait for it. Listen, do you want to know the, the weirdest thing? Like I read this whole thing. So um, I covered this on my, my podcast, which just went out this morning. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also sat in a, a space the other day. There's two like really, really screwy things in here. I want to just skip to the one that you'll love the most. Frank, I... I if you know about government documents, they like to hide things, but they like to hide it deep in it after you've been, you were talking about a long essay where you use the word that to get to 500. Mm -hmm. um, on page 27 of this document, and you're just scrolling through, and it's inane, like Kamala Harris word salads over and over and over. It's just garbage. But then you get to the real meat and potatoes of where the problem is. Are you ready for this? Yes, can't wait. Okay, it's on page 27, halfway down the page. This strategy will take a comprehensive and coordinated approach to expanding the national cybersecurity workforce, improving its diversity, oh, no. and increasing access to cyber education and training pathways. This will address the need for cybersecurity expertise across all sectors of the economy with a special focus on critical infrastructure and will enable the American workforce to continue to innovate and secure resilient next generation technologies now you might wonder why do we need that and i'm going to tell you why it will tackle head-on the lack of diversity in the cyber workforce employers are hiring from too small a pool of talent what? and from professional networks 
that are that are not able to draw from the full diversity of our country. Because women, they're not-, they're not allowed. You know that they're not allowed. Women, people of color. Here's a new one for you. This is a new minority group. First generation professionals and immigrants, individuals dis- with disabilities, and oh. LGBTQI plus individuals are among the communities that are underrepresented in the field. And that is the fault of you. That is why our government is going to step in and make sure that we have a diversified workforce. Have you ever seen the, what it looks like? The, like un- it's the untapped. I, I think I think about all the, the untapped cybersecurity trans market. No, they're being discriminated against, you know, because these leftist people that run the big tech companies are actually really discriminatory and they're not hiring like a bunch of really capable Indian workers who come to this country on H-1B visas as they do. So I just want you to know that this document and this strategy is going to address systemic inequities and overcome barriers that inhibit diversity in the cyber workforce because it's a moral necessity, because that's what our government is going to give us, the morality and strategic imperatives. Here's the thing that you should take away from that. The federal government wants to be its own religion. It is a well, secular religion. I was just and that's about part to... of why. Hey, Frank, today's crazy show is brought to you by a sponsor. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like checking in your baggage at the airport without a lock. Who don't you want around your baggage at the airport without a lock on it, Frank? I know. I know. You, you, you need to be in an internet space that's secure and safe, a nice ecosystem for life. Yeah, you think your stuff is kept private, but you never know who's going through your 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 underwear, your bras, your hemorrhoid cream, your sex toys. Goodness knows. Don't what- take my hemorrhoid cream, <laughs> cream, please. Who's the guy? Who's what's his name? The dude that um, the dude that uh was stealing all the luggage. Oh, Sam Brinton. Yeah, keep him the hell away, even in cyberspace. Why does everyone need a VPN? Because you don't want Brinton sniffing around your online activity without your knowledge. When you go online without a VPN, when you go online without a VPN, internet service providers actually can see every single website you visit and then legally sell this information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who use it to target you. Um, Browse more anonymously with ExpressVPN. ISPs can't see your online activity, your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server, and your data is encrypted. All you do is fire it up and hit a button. It's super easily, easily, super easy. I'll be okay. It's been a crazy show. It is important to me that I use ExpressVPN for several reasons. One, we can watch New York sports. Two, I don't want people knowing what the hell I'm looking at when I'm palling around with Kyle Serafin. What do you think? I know, same thing. (laughs) So... Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash dark to light today. That's expressvpn.com slash dark to light. And you can get an extra three months for free. Expressvpn.com slash dark to light. Listen to this. I got to say this because if the menu, the intelligence product that you wrote about for us, that will be the norm. That's not even going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe they did this. Did you see Merrick Garland respond to that? At the I hearing? watched all four and a half hours of his hearing and I cut it up. And so you know what I did? I'm going to put it on my Rumble channel today. I cut out all the Democrats because they were useless. <laughs> That's what we they were, were going to do. <laughs> so I, I'll just give it to you. You can go do whatever you want with it. It's an hour and a half instead of four and a half hours. Here's something that's worth noting about that. Um All the Democrats talked about, I actually put notes on it. I think I deleted them last night, but I may not have. Um Covered it on my on my little podcast thing, but here's the wild part. Ready? Um, they talked about Ukraine. 
Uh, Senator Whitehouse started off by talking about the biggest concern he has for the Justice Department, which is that there are plumes of methane streaming across the United States, and that is a very dangerous greenhouse gas and or a naturally occurring product in our world. Cat Either farms. way, whatever, whatever you want. Um, yeah, big, big problems. You know, domestic methane production is up. Um, Maisie Hirono, who I think is the dumbest person in the, oh, one house, of the dumbest outside of she's one of the name? dumbest people. Yeah. In America, outside of Fetterman. No. Who said that the <laughs> island of Guam was going to top topple Hank. over? Oh, yeah. Hank, Hank, Hank Johnson. Hank Johnson. Yeah. You old Hank. I actually uh, had dinner with. So I had a, a buddy who was an FBI agent. His girlfriend was the senior policy advisor on Africa for Karen Bass, who was also a terrible communist. Um, but Hank Johnson was like one of her buddies and she was like, he's really nice. And I was like, is he as dumb as he looks? And she's like, no, but we tried to get him to not say stuff like that, but he just didn't get it. I'm sure that Hank Johnson would be the nice guy to have breakfast with at a Denny's. But as far as what he's doing, you know, his, his, uh, the role he plays in public affairs is absolutely embarrassing for the entire world, because I'm sure we're being observed by some alien race. No, it's just balloons, man. What are you talking about? It's, it's just octagonal balloons. balloons. What you, <laughs> why, why are you spreading all these conspiracies? Uh, Maisie Hirono used a word that I wasn't uh, familiar with, even though I worked in counterterrorism for a couple of years. She used the uh, the term anti-choice extremists, which is my new favorite name Anti for pro-life. Anti-choice extremists. Um, pro-life. Pro-life. At least, at least they're going to accept that they are pro-abortion. They're not pro-choice in reality. Like she's a pro-abortion lunatic. That's what I'm going to start calling her. Um, and, you know, in some cases, even though that's not a very Christian position, there are some people who seem like th they are not doing their best life with the time they have. And maybe they would have been better off, like, I don't know, being recycled. Josh Hawley did a whole question and answer with him on this. I, it's um, seven minutes long, but the, it's so powerful. Like he was so spot on, Kyle. And. He was pissed, and I, I was also pissed, so I was feeling it. Here's the problem. What are they going to do about it? Well, it's it's all for – that's why I told you, like, when we talked about the boot on the table with Ted Cruz during that one hearing. Great soundbite. Good to get reelected. Good for fundraising. That's, that's what these things are, Yeah, I mean, it's, it, these hearings are – and then next week, what do you think about this? I mean, next week they're going to have the Government Weaponization Committee. I would love to see live testimony of Kyle Serafin being asked questions on the floor there, not – Matt so many, so many feelings were hurt. Matt Taibbi's so great. Feelings. I know, I know. You, you forget it. <laughs> Matt Taibbi's great, but 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 the Twitter files, okay, they're important. But where are. are you guys? Where are you guys? Why You're, aren't? Well, I, I like Matt. I talked to Matt for hours. I've told him a lot of the stuff that's wrong. So he's got a good grasp of it. And then he went in and did the Twitter files after that. So I, I think he's as good as anybody. I mean, he's better than like FBI Barbie, who they had on um, for the first hearing. Uh, and certainly better than Tulsi Gabbard, who I don't understand what her purpose was. Like, what does Tulsi know about weaponization of government other than she tried to run for president and so she could take our guns? guns. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength here. Sure I, I, it's gross, man. Like, what is that about? Well, I want to see Kyle Serafin live testifying in front of the and Steve Friend live testifying in front of the weapons weaponization committee. They'll be reading my tweets. That's what that's what they did. That's what the uh, the other side of the weaponization committee did. They just read tweets back at my buddies and they were like, what did you mean by this? And they all said, you know, this is a First Amendment protected activity. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm going to comment on my tweets. But not in the way that they expect. 
<laughs> That's why I want to see you. Listen, if somebody says like, hey, what did you mean by this? Like uh, they, they, they like to have their information spoon fed rectally. Like my answer is not going to be what they expect. That's why be, you're not going to be, be testifying live. That's why yeah. I will not be testifying. Because <laughs> look, as, as somebody came at me, they were like, I'm not as nuclear as you are. And I was like, you're missing the name of the operation. This is Operation Scorched Earth. Everything burns. Yep. Everything burns. You step into the arena. It's Thunderdome. Do, this do, is the march to the sea at this point. That's it. If I would have known that we would have um, Kyle on the show today, I would be wearing my suspendables gear, which I had received in the mail last week. Yeah. I got when, I, when I showed my wife the, the picture you sent over, she was like, is that Tracy? And I go, yeah. And she was like, he, she goes, how do you know? Because you were in your hood. You were like, <laughs> she's all hooded up. And like, all you could see is like her eyes and like no mouth. Because it's just. She, she, looks like a, she looks like a Jawa. She looks like a Jawa. She looks like a, like an eight-year-old wearing her dad's uh, hoodie. And she's just like hiding in it. So you just see these like eyes creeping out from there. It's pretty funny. That's how you have she to be like, if you want to be in the suspendables. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta you gotta know that it might you might be taking incoming. Yeah, it's true. Um, but I don't know. Do you okay. want to? He he. What he There's did. There's another couple of things in this this cybersecurity. Oh yeah, thing I was hit it to. because then I want to I want to get back to this hearing because I want your opinion on something. There, but again, so there's two really nasty things that are that are tucked into this document. It's only about thirty pages long, but it's all full of like I said, it's word salads and trash. So two really nasty things. Number one, they want to assign the blame for the criminal act of ransomware or using malware and planting um, devices that are already against the law for you to do and, and, and do intrusive moves into people's computers. They're going to assign the blame for that to the writer of the code, not the malware code, mind you. The, the writer, the, the like, CIA is going to be guilty of like 99% of the stuff. <laughs> they can't be guilty of anything. They're going to be qualified, uh, qualified immunity. But the, what they're saying is essentially if you created an app and that's what your, your market is, they're going to be able to go after you for the liability for leaving exploitations open to these malware and ransomware types. And the goal, I think, is obviously selective enforcement, right? Because they don't have to go after everybody. They'll just go after the apps that they don't like what they're doing. If that's Parler, if that's Gab. If that's Twitter, if that's people who are allowing free speech that they don't like, it gives them a tool to do this. You just have to assume that everything will be used in a nefarious way under this particular government or all government, honestly, because you can't trust it to have this kind of power. So that's number one. That's really scary. The second thing is, is they want to regulate crypto, which we knew yeah. is, is a thing. We want to do. Look, I'm not a crypto guy. And I said this the other day. Um, I don't see any value in that. I, I put my money in uh, precious metals. I have brass and I have lead. I think those are both really good to have. They're fungible. You can trade ammo all day. And it's always got value. But when you're talking about trying to uh, stop a disruptive technology like this, it's the same thing that Jim Comey was involved in in 2014. So he was talking about the going dark initiative and how the FBI needed a backdoor to end to end encrypted apps because the here's what they do. They raise the specter of some like very, very small probability event like people could be sharing child pornography well, or talking about terrorist activities. So we got to know what it is. We got to break the technology because somebody could use it wrong uh, and and my analogy for that is because they said what what would happen is that these bitware or i'm sorry these uh, malware attacks and ransomware um get paid in and usually like some sort of crypto and so because they could be doing that and it would be difficult to trace it we got to be able to trace all the crypto that's the equivalent of saying like somebody has been locked in a room before and and treated as a as a you know like a captive so no locks. and so we, so no locks we have to break the lock technology and allow everyone to get in and that's not that's not reasonable so anyway it's just whenever these specters get raised and they they try to give you that boogeyman it's like ooh, malware could take your computer over it's like i don't know i don't want to have uh, the government involved in anything that we don't need it to it's the worst solution to almost everything 
So maybe not. Anyway, it's all tucked into that little that strategy, uh, along with the uh, the equity gem, which I knew you'd appreciate. It that yeah, that is so much more important than um, they can't help themselves. Well, it's it's amazing how again uh, how many page that was on page twenty seven. How many pages was this thing altogether? Thirty four. The fact that this could probably be whittled down to one nightmarish page. <laughs> That it, that it could be whittled, you know, it could probably be whittled down to one nightmarish eight by ten page. It could be is, a five minute video by Maisie Hirono. Yep. We we went over that executive order that Biden signed last week. Um, the most egregious, terrible, unconstitutional executive order ever. Remember, the title of it was unconstitutional. <laughs> And it talked about equity. I'm like, what are underprivileged groups? Can you please define them for me? And Frank said, anybody white? And I said, well, what about white women? And he said, no, they're included too. But what about white trans women? Oh, well, there you go. Like, who, where does it, what, it. and who's underprivileged? These people are placed on a pedestal and given the attention. Like, if that's underprivileged, I want to be under, underprivileged for goodness sakes. It's not even about doling out the privilege because these these initiatives, these departments, they're not going to last forever. The, the United States government is not going to last forever. It's going to be redefined under some kind of a global conglomerate at at some point. This is about chipping away at everything that used to be foundational to just human civilization. If you can believe that that you know, it's one thing to say divert, oh, well this is not a very diverse place. Uh, there's too many white people here. It should be representative of the population, which in itself is ridiculous because you want people to do the best job. If it turns out that there's 70 percent black people in a in a certain profession because they are actually the best people to do the job and they keep outperforming white people and Asian people, then great. You know, you're getting quality. Am I not get going to get in trouble by saying football? I was going to say NFL wide receivers. That seems to be a pretty, pretty. Uh... <laughs> Pretty ubiquitous uh, skin color out there. I think it's just because they're studs, right? Like, isn't that the whole thing? Hey, the funniest... uh, they have a pretty, they have a pretty good, uh, pretty good representation in basketball as well. But there's Correct. a lot, there's 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 a lot other there. There's a, there's a lot more there too. It, it just you you, you and, sacrifice. And this is not a monolithic block either. Like this whole concept. Like I, I I said this. I was talking to some guy the other day, and we were some. I can't remember how it came up, but it was like he, he was saying, "Oh, the gay community," and I'm like, "Dude, I don't know any gay communities. Like I know some gay people." Yeah. There's, I, I have friends that, you there's know, no like straight I, community either. There's no community at all. Most there's of the no people I community. hate, there's, most of the people I can't stand are black people. Yeah. Frank well, by, by, straight people. <laughs> well, I just don't like people a lot of times. So yeah. that it, it doesn't matter what it is. Here's the funny thing. If you were to take my buddies that were on, like, like let's take my uh, my surveillance team. I worked with them thousands and thousands of hours professionally, and we, we'd hang out afterwards as well. So one of, one of my buddies on there happens to be black, but I guarantee you he doesn't fit into the, any of their molds. Like the dude was a Marine. He was an officer. You know, he's educated. He was a he was a, a law enforcement professional before he became an FBI agent. Like, is is that who you're talking about? You talking about like my buddies like that? Because uh, I don't think they are. Well, my 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 uh, my point uh, was going to be that we were at a we were at a place once where they said, well, you know, it, we, this has to be one thing or the Oscars or this job or whatever has to be representative of the 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 breakdown of society. Well, if that's the case, then that means that out of every 100 employees, 12 of them have to be black. But, you know, 12 is not enough. They want over representation of 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 certain groups that are political special interest groups. They don't actually, like you said, 
They don't care about your your black friends or your gay friends who don't fit their political profiling mold. And, and, but now we have gone so far beyond what we thought at one point was diversity where, oh, I have, you know, you know my, my, my friends look more like the planeteers. Everybody looks different. And that's nice, isn't it? We're, we're not a model, whatever. Is that a Captain going, Planet reference you just threw in there? You just like, ding. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but now we're going diversity of what is your ailment? That, that's yeah. the real when we start talking about trans and when we start talking about all these things that are, are holding people down um, from really, from really, I mean, even being able to come to grips with who they are in the mirror. I mean, that is that's that's not a that's not a, a subset of the population that came from uh, Papua New Guinea or something like that. We're talking about going into the into the mind, and I think that that's really when you when you start getting thrown these uh, these diversity uh, quotas. Now we're talking about whittling away people's connection to reality. It's not even yeah. racial barriers anymore. The the yeah no you're right. There's a podcast that's like making waves because there was a chick on it who you and I do I'm guilty of this myself, but used the word like. 30 or so times in a in a, in a little that. sentence. That aside, the same podcast was a guy who was asked, would you rather sleep with an elderly woman or a trans woman? And he said, an elderly woman because I wouldn't be gay then. I'm not a homosexual and I don't want to sleep with the trans woman. And I believe that the person sitting across from him was trans. I couldn't tell. You can't tell anymore. I know. And, and so they got so furious that this guy said he wouldn't sleep with the trans. That's where we're at, where being a heterosexual is offensive and deserves you. And he's a, he's a good looking guy. Number one, he's a well-spoken, good looking guy. Mm-hmm. He's on uh, his uh, Twitter account blew up. It's sovereign, bro. And that, that dating podcast is called it's called the whatever dating podcast, I think. Whatever. I've never seen it, but somebody hits me up and they go, is this a psyop? Like, why is this everywhere right now? Like, how did it just happen that we're just seeing clips from this thing? Why is it getting pushed? And I, and I actually don't know. That's kind of interesting to note, too. But you're right. We're in a place where um, all these women fit into the Dan Bongino category of, like, stupid smart people. They have a lot of words that sound like they know what they're talking about. But I had a I wrote a hashtag. I'm like, they're all AOC. <laughs> it's like hashtag. They're all AOC. It's- they're all pretty enough to say a bunch of words that don't mean anything and then people listen to them because their face looks okay to to watch move but and they're all uh, they all wear that movie. tank top Kyle did you ever notice that Frank I hate you know- tank top I, I'm so sad for people that have to be in the dating world right now I really am it's the which, saddest thing in the world which tank top that it's just this gray low cut midriff, like- yeah midriff oh, cut. You, you're talking about the like like girl yeah, like, you know, like the girl. tank top that would get us a third more viewers if I were wearing it, that tank top. Yeah. Oh, Kyle, well, Kyle, this chick, this it, it was one of those things where I feel, I felt so right. bad because she's really beautiful, but she is nothing. She's just, she, there's not, there's, she's nothing. It's, it's almost as if cotton candy came to life. You know, there's nothing there. Uh, you know, she's <laughs> yeah, there's got, no she, substance. She's got there's the no tits. Real calories. Yeah, she, no, she got, she's got the tits, but she can't. Are she can't think. Get too many together trying, when it's over. She's trying so hard to put together a thought, and she she can't think. And I, it's so it's so sad. Well, that's not most of the girls on this podcast. Most of the girls are like no secondary sex characteristics. They look like children. They speak like children. They think like children. And then there's these guys who are smart. You know, they're still pretty young, but they are articulate. They have answers and they are just blasting these girls with reality. So I don't know how they decided like this casting call went down. Uh, did I ever tell you that? So I've got a bunch of brothers. One of my brothers was on. Um, he was on. What is that stupid dating show that the MTV used to have? Next. Dateline. 
No. No. Uh, he's on next. I think it was called next. Is okay. that a thing? Yeah, it is. It would but go, I, like, because the girl would like have him come out, and they would go like next or whatever, and like, then like it was the next it was Tinder before Tinder was cool. I guess so. My brother is a, like a single guy in his mid thirties, and he lives in L.A. And so he got and he's taller than me. So he he ends up uh, he's like six foot one. Well, it's just like he he fits the part of like what they're looking for casting. So someone saw him like out having a drink or whatever, and invite him to this thing. And so he gets up and they're like, you know, do your intro and like step out of the trailer and do your intro. And so he steps out and he's like, hey, what's up? My name's Brock. Like. I'm a lawyer, I'm this thing, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, go back in and do it again. And he comes back out and he was like, hey, what's up? I'm Brock, like I love to go to the beach. Like, duh, duh, duh. And they're like, no, go back in. <laughs> so he goes in and they do this like six times. So he gets really bored. My brother's also like, uh, comes from the same cerebral development as, as everybody in my family. So uh, high, high achiever mentally. And he walks out and he's so bored of this thing. Frank, you can appreciate this. He walks in and he goes, he goes, yo, 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 what up? My name is Brock. My friends call me Muhammad Brock Lee. And they're like, that's it. And he's like, <laughs> He's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. So literally all my buddies, um, and he has like he has a, a like an alter ego where he does DJ stuff and he makes this uh, interesting, you know, electronic music. So all my buddies listen to his electronic music. They're all FBI agents. This is the funniest thing. He has like six followers and five of them are feds. And uh, <laughs> they'll hit me up and they'll be like, hey man, when's, uh, when's uh, MBL gonna drop another beat? And I'm like, who in the hell is MBL? And they're like, Muhammad Broccoli. I told him this story one time, like eight years ago. And they all call my brother, who they've never met, but listen to all of his music, Muhammad Broccoli. I might listen to his music. Send it to me. It's actually pretty good. Send it to, let's play some. And you can look it up. It's Dance Control. D-A, it, it's like D-Ant with a Z. Dance and then Control with a K. And he puts on this ant helmet, like the, uh, like what's the mouse? Like Dead Mouse? Yeah. Thing. <laughs> oh, it's a full. It's a full. It's a helmet that just take that. Wait a second. Uh, it consumes the whole head. I see a video yeah, here yeah, yeah, yeah. that says "Wisdom Teeth," Casey and Kyle. Oh yeah, that's me. I don't oh. know who posted it, but that's that's definitely me. Oh, we've they got videotaped it. me when I was uh, just at, I was in college, and they pulled my wisdom teeth out. Yeah, it's terrible. We're gonna watch this right now. Hold on. I'm sort of upset about that. Okay, we won't watch it then. No, no, you can do it. It doesn't matter. They they had me. What they did is, you know, when you have your wisdom teeth out, you can't eat solid foods for a little while, um, and you're not supposed to eat. I don't know anything that's going to hurt your your empty sockets back there. So for some reason, uh, and and I'm like 20 years old or 19 years old. They, um, I think my mom made pudding. I was still on my parents' insurance. I, I vaguely remember this. It's they made pudding. Long. Never mind. Yeah, you don't want to see all of it. I'll just tell you what happens. Like they were basically putting my hand with a spoon into the pudding. And the mechanical reflexes of being like coming out of the anesthesia, I was just putting it on my face. <laughs> and, then, and my dad is part of it. Like, this is the problem. My dad is basically like another one of the boys. So he's like putting my hand back into the pudding and then I'm just putting it on my face. Like, and I'm just smearing chocolate pudding and they're laughing at me. And I'm like, why are you guys laughing? Like, you know, you still got cotton in your mouth, like all that. And they videoed it. This is like on an old camcorder. <laughs> I am. Um... I can't find his another, music, another day. I can't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It will be played. Absolutely. Um, I can't find the music, but um, this, this. Listen. This is what happens when there's no show prep for a show, which maybe people Here, I, like I, it. Tell me if you can. Tell me if you can hear this. Can you hear that? Barely. No. Is that better? No, we can't. Yeah. No, I it can't. was either, either you could hear it or you can't. No, I, I'm I not. Can't, I can't. Um. He's, you know, he plays guitar. He sings things. He had this really hilarious song that was called, uh, it was called The Bungalow. And he was like, that's the worst song I ever wrote. And I'm like, it's my favorite song you ever did. And he's just, he's over and over. He's like, where are you going to go when you got to go to the bungalow? Go bungalow. <laughs> he did, apparently it was a club in uh, 
by the beach somewhere like i don't know like venice beach and it's like did people go to the bungalow and he was like yeah it's where everybody would always go but he's making fun of like hipsters and people standing in line it's i mean it's clever it's silly you see, but... you see that's you know i talk to my brother about this all the time here too because you know my brother's a musician he's got he's very successful on on the internet and all that and and whenever he's he gets so he writes such intricate uh, original stuff and then when it doesn't go over well He's like, I don't, I don't get it, you know, sometimes. And then we, we, then there's usually those moments of realization where what, what really hits is simplicity. You look at some of the best songs Everything ever Everything is a four chord structure, same four chord structure. So simple. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and, and I told him, I said, I said, you know, when you're, when you're in the, the living room, like when we go up to the Adirondacks and he brought his acoustic guitar up there and he played a very simple blues riff and just sang one line over and over and over again to Aurora my daughter and she just loved it and she would i said i said now listen i know that she's a two-year-old but you you got to understand this the same science this is, this is the same science she has she it, that just means that she has less of personal filters that this music is going through this is just we we are we're tuning forks and you got to just keep it simple some people right. gravitate toward the progressive music that you know the 12 minute 12 minute odysseys and all the uh, the um the times uh signature changes they just love that but this is what we are on a basic level and that's why some people are like i can't believe people like this like no most people like this this is what you have to do well there's a um there's a song that's called weller man have you heard that it popped up on my uh pandora stuff either of you no Okay. Uh, first of all, so people should check it out because it's it's super catchy and it's really nice and it's just uh, there's no instrumental. It's just a guy like pounding on a guitar and there's all these like comments that are people are like, finally a song I can play on my guitar well, you know. And it's like he's like, doom, doom. <laughs> he's just keeping beat on the guitar. Um, it's a New Zealand whaling song from the 1850s. Okay, and the backstory on it is because now people are going to be able to know the backstory because I'm nerdy and I'm like, what is this song all about? It's a, the backstory is, is that there were f three brothers or four brothers with the last name Weller and the Wellers were famous for running a mercantile system that would go into Australia and bring rum and sugar and tea and other staples to New Zealand. And then they would also obviously be equipping some of these whaling missions that would go out there and they were just dudes like harpooning whales. And the song is a sea shanty, right? And there, so I was like, oh, like what? Why is sea shanty a genre? Like, what does that even mean? So then I go look it up because I just have to get into these things. And there's an entire scientific paper written on why sea shanties are so catchy. And it's exactly what you said. It's repetitive structure. It's very simple, melodic things that don't get too complicated. They tell a story that is easy to follow and you can sing along with the, uh, with the chorus the first time you hear it. And that's the really big thing. If the chorus is repeatable and it's learnable and people can participate, it'll stick in your head. You may not know all the other pieces of it. So I wrote a, actually a, like a um, like a two-page sea shanty on the same tune about the FBI being terrible. And one day I will I will actually put it out. It's freaking I, funny. Because now when I listen to Weller Man, I like hear my own lyrics and I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad, actually. I'm riffing on Comey and, and McCabe and all the other horrible characters, so. I like it. I'm a singer, so I was in a competition, like, because there's this app called Smule, and I was just doing it for fun to, like, keep my mind off of crap. And I was in this competition, and one of the final things was that you had to make your own, you had to make your own, basically, mix of all different songs and kind of make them meld together. And so I just found the four chords 
I'm talking about and don't ask me what they are because I can't remember them off the top of my head and it just repeats over and over and I was able to sing eight songs in that four chord structure eight popular songs I I weaved them all into this four four point uh four four chord structure but it was like it was it was basically every pop song that that yes. exists is based around those four chords and you can sing any one of them if those four chords are just repeating themselves over and over again What's your uh, what's your vocal range? Now? Yeah. I probably have I don't I don't care previously it doesn't help me. Three and a half octaves from like a low G all the way to a maybe four. You're like a, a like a low alto? Yeah. I'm probably a high baritone now. Yeah. I used to be a soprano when I was I I did I I didn't I did an opera back in the day. That's strong. Um, I need Joe Pags to, to to record the bass line for this. <laughs> He'll do it. Just ask him. I, I know he will. I, I talked to him about it. We, t- we, we got into it. He's like, he's like, I have to use the RE27 because I, my bass is too low and I need to have a little more brightness in my sound. And he, I was like, oh. he always tells me, like, I've done a parody with him. I'm on a few of like one, I think one or two of his parodies. He sends them to me at like five o'clock at night and says, record this part for me. I need like a, a high harmony here and I need this. And I'm like, okay. So I record it and send it back to him. And then he sends them all to me before he plays them. And I have to listen to all of them. And I do. But like literally, literally anything, anything is a high harmony to, to Joe. Like I'm a high harmony to Joe. Yes. He's very, he, he gets them out though. If you ever listen to a Pags parody with the, he does like four part harmonies on some of them. Pretty, pretty amazing. Well, he, yeah. I'm going to have to send him these lyrics because I know he'll do it. Last, funny. last night, now that we're telling random stories, last night I was on Joe Pags, right? And it was the end of the interview and we were closing out the interview and he goes, hey, Tracy, it's really, you know what? I'm going to find it real. It's on Rumble now. Real great to have you. I hope you come back soon. And I'm like, (laughs) good thing. (laughs) That's what he said or that's what you said. said. He comes at you really fast. So like Joe, my favorite Joe. uh, So he'll be doing the, the Tracy Beans. He'll be like. He'll be like, thanks for coming along. Thanks for being on the ride here. We're going to be uh, talking to the, the editor-in-chief of Uncover DC. It's Tracy Beans, and Tracy Beans is here. Uh, Tracy, good to have you on the show. And then you'll go like... It's, it's <laughs> Those are 11 sentences in, in the time for four. And He's it's amazing. So very, it's so deep. He's just running it at you. I, it's I, old school kind of like classic radio stuff. I grew up around that kind of people. Um, I, I mean, I used to sit on their lap when I was a three-year-old, and they would say weird things in my ear. And we would record promos because my dad was the news director of uh, KCBS on the West Coast, That's which cool. is the flagship of San Francisco radio, right, uh, for CBS networks. So we would go in there and my my dad's best buddy was this really, really weird dude. And I'm going to like, Frank, you'll appreciate this, too. I think he had like Venus flytraps when I was a kid. That was my favorite thing in the world. We'd go to his apartment and there was like guns, swords, Venus flytraps, pitcher, like carnivorous plants, just totally weird. Just a weird dude that would do weird things. You'd open a book and there'd be a gun in there because he'd cut it out, but it was like a nice book. (laughs) And he'd be like, oh, don't open those books. And he had this big, deep voice. And so he would sit there and and he would whisper weird things into our ear and we would say them. And so then you'd have this three-year-old saying, you know, since I talked to you last, I've made some really, really interesting real estate investment. My financial portfolio is really growing. And it's all because I'm listening to financial news on News 74, KCBS. <laughs> Moves on to News 74, KCBS. Little tiny voice, really weird things. And then my, my brother would come out and do the same thing. And he was like two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and he would say stuff. And I'd be like, this is my brother, Brad. And Brad, Brad would be like, yeah, you have a fiduciary responsibility. To take care of. <laughs> <laughs> just, just absurdities. 
And uh, that was old school radio. They would just I, edit it out. It was all it was all analog. They would cut it out of the tape. Like they would I, literally just like press it out. The the title of the show never changed yet because I have it live streaming as an interview with Dr. Mary Tell. Yeah, no, I I am Dr. Mary Bowen. <laughs> Bowen. Thankfully, you, you have no clue how many times I had to. It's like maybe three times a week now. I had to change the title after the show is over because things happen that I didn't expect. Or we don't get around I, to some topics that I wanted to do. It just it happens all the time. I'm gonna I'm right gonna... now you have no left arm, which is really interesting. <laughs> Mine? It's gone. Yeah, your left arm is gone. It's yeah, just so, it's, it's, it, it, so there you go. Really yeah. Well, at least I don't have to stop drumming anymore. I can just <laughs> Def Leopard taught me that yeah, anything no, yeah. is possible. You know what? You'll, uh, there was a show that I used to listen to on the radio back in the day when I was a kid. I used to listen to like the weirdest radio. I was a um, like a total radio nerd. I would put an AM radio under my pillow and go to sleep, and it'd be like two in the morning. I'd That's be listening why to like you're the so weird. weird. You had those radio frequencies blaring through your head. I, all well, and I was listening to guys that were like talking about aliens and like overnight truckers that would call in on you know like on some kind of connection, and they'd pull over to a freaking payphone and then call into this show and all that kind of stuff. And there was one really fun thing that there was a guy, uh, they would do a segment, it was for money, and it was called One Arm or Two, and they would play a Def Leppard song, and you had to say whether it was one or two. And I yeah, always thought- pr Prior to the crash and after the crash? Yeah, yeah, before and after crash. Well, I mean, there's mo mo everything, mostly everything is after the crash now. Right, but it was still an interesting, it was an interesting like segment to do. And there, like I said, there was no internet. So you actually had to know the information. <laughs> So th that's it. And we filled an hour somehow. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle, again, for being on call for us. It's very much appreciated. I'm wearing Ooh. running tights, so I'm not even wearing real pants. No big deal. I'm not wearing really. I'm not wearing any pants. That's actually There's Frank's no, motto. No need. There's no, no need for pants. Yeah. Pants off, dance off. Actually, if you want to know uh, if anybody watched our buddy Steve Friend on Hannity the other night. He said he put on a suit jacket and a tie and a shirt and he wore boxer shorts underneath. Hell just, yes. Even though it was in the evening. He said he, he went he went from having pants on to not having pants on just to do it. Good for him. I'm glad they didn't make yeah. him go to studio because that would have been a little awkward. But no, it's not. They don't they're they're professionals. <laughs> Hannity. Okay. Um you have been listening to the Dark Delight podcast with Frankie Bow on the drums and Oh, I'm Kyle. <laughs> Kyle's here. <laughs> you can hear us. I was waiting for the. I was waiting. I was going to wait for the beans in my ear, and then I was going to go. That's what I was waiting ha, for. Foiled you. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at two thirty Eastern time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at eight thirty AM Eastern time on Rumble, Getter, and Twitter. And don't forget to check out Frank's show Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time on, quite frankly, TV. We will see you back here on Monday. Later. <laughs>